Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. So for those of you who don't know out there, my name is Pastor Taylor. I was the guy who was kind of trying to flip his hair back and be cool like that in the video. I am Pastor Eric, and I couldn't do that. So, <laughs> um, this is my father-in-law, actually, up here. And so uh, he's, I don't know, like older. Yeah, I mean, a couple years, lots, lots of wisdom and stuff. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to go back and forth up here. We're going to share... Um, our story, but God's story working through us. And so, because as you can kind of see that we're both, uh, our, our lives are moving in different directions, but where God has called us. And so we want to kind of bring that in um, and let the scripture do what it does best, but also share how it has become alive in our lives. And so we're going to actually go through Psalm 78 today. It's going to be a lot of fun, but we're going to pray first. And we're just going to invite God in and let him do his part in our lives. So uh, join me. Lord, I just, I... Uh, we give it to you this morning. You know, we just surrender whatever we have, whatever's on our hearts, whatever's on our minds, God, that we would just put it before you. Uh, we just ask that you would come in and you would ignite a fire inside of us that would just send us um, out these doors proclaiming the gospel wherever we go, living out the gospel, living in relationship, God. Um, but we, we know it only happens with you, that it, we need you to invade our lives. We need your presence to be our daily purpose, God, as we uh, live lives as followers of Christ. And so wherever we're at in this room, God, I pray that you would pursue each one of us. Pursue us how only you know best. Because each of us is different. We all have different stories, different backgrounds, different problems, different issues, and different failures, God. And so I pray that you would come through and you would show us who you are and how you made us and, and show us where new victories are to be found, Lord, in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to start in Psalm 78 today. It's a, it's a little bit different. We're not going to read through it. It's a long, 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 long psalm. And so we're not, we're not going to do that. We're going to actually just talk about the first 16 verses. But I'm going to give you just a real general overview of what the entire psalm's about. Uh, it is, it, what the psalm does is it starts us all the way where Moses enters the scene in the Old Testament. This man named Moses, and it goes all the way to King David. And so it's covering the span of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. It's, it's going to cover their lifespan, basically, from Moses to King David. And the, basically, the, the, the premise of the story is, is that they forget, and they fail, and they lose sight of things. But God's mercy and grace prevails everything. And he still constantly pursues them, regardless of their failures, regardless when they forget. He pursues them. And so, some of you are kind of new, and you're going like, what? What is Israel? Like, what is this God's chosen people? Well, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to start with Moses this morning. We're going to go to him because there's something that happens in his life that sets us up for this entire psalm, I believe. And Moses is a man that God came in and pursued his life and interrupted it 
when Moses had his own scheduled agenda. And I like to call this the burning bush moment because God is coming after Moses. He wants to get in his life. And Moses was on his, this trajectory. And as soon as he has this moment with Moses, Moses all of a sudden changes the way he's going. And God wants to do that in all of our lives. He really does. And so we start with Moses because Moses is the one who leads the people out of Egypt. He's the beginning of this psalm. That's where it all starts. And he kind of has this encounter with God that starts at the burning bush. And so this bush catches on fire, continues to burn. Moses sees it over there. He's like, why is it not burning up? And he walks up to it. And all of a sudden, he starts this dialogue with God. And so that's kind of where we pick up in the story is this dialogue in Exodus 3. And so it says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries and distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. His nation, God's chosen people, Israel, is in captivity in Egypt. And they've been there for 430 years. And God goes, I'm going to use one person to bring them out. He's going to use many, but he's going to use Moses. And he's going to interrupt Moses' life right here in this moment, a burning bush moment. And the great thing about burning bush moments, like I said, is they change the trajectory of our life. And when we follow that call, when we follow what God has placed on our hearts, it'll change the trajectory of the people's lives that are around us as well. That is the beautiful thing about God. So our job and our goal and our life is to draw close to God and in these burning bush moments, obey him so that our lives will be changed. Our lives will take a different path that we never saw coming. And then through that, other people's lives will be changed as well. And so as we enter this scene, Moses has this burning bush moment. And I believe God desires that for all of us as well. And I have had many burning bush moments in my life, but I would say one of the first ones came over four years ago. And I was in college and I was in pursuit of a marketing degree because I wanted to go into sports marketing. I thought Nike, Columbia, Adidas, take your pick. That's where I wanted to go. That's I was like, I've got it all mapped out. That's where I want to go, God. I was dating um, my now wife, Annie, this guy's number three daughter. And uh, it was great. We, it was fantastic. I had some good friends. I had uh, just a life ahead of me. I was going to church every Sunday. I kind of knew about God. I mean, I, I thought life was so good until I realized that it wasn't because I didn't realize I was empty on the inside because I was making decisions because of my emptiness on the inside. I was making decisions that put me in my own pitfall. I was making decisions that put me at the bottom. And I didn't know it till after the fact till I was sitting on the bottom and I'm looking up and I'm going, how the heck did I get here? I thought things were going well. I thought I had my life all mapped out ahead of me. And then all of a sudden I'm come crashing down and I'm filled with anxiety. I'm filled with fear. I'm filled with depression and I can't get out of it. And I'm like, I don't know where to go, where to run. So I tried to run to God because I've been coming to church on the weekends. I kind of knew him enough to run to him. And so that's where I had my, one of my first burning bush moments when I just kind of said, God, I'm, I'm done doing this. And Annie sat there and she, she leads me to Christ and I go, okay, I think I get it now. And God comes into my life. He pursued me. He pursued me through people, but he pursued me most importantly to surrender my life to him. And that forever changed the trajectory of my life. And when you have your first burning bush moment that changes the trajectory of your life, God brings other moments. He brings other moments where he draws you into his presence and he says, I want you to go here. And I would say... This man right here was a part of some of my other burning bush moments, particularly one in 
So immediately upon him receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, you know, I wish we could say that that is a that once you receive Christ in your life, it's just an immediate fix-all. You know, God takes this putty and He fills all the holes and all the cracks, and we're good. But the reality is, I think for all of us, it's a journey. And as we journey with Jesus Christ, he, he takes us through the, the lows and the valleys, and He takes us to the mountaintop experiences, and He's with us along the way. So along this journey, we, we learn so much about His presence and who He is and what He desires to do in our life. So immediately upon him receiving Christ, uh, he is exiting my house, and it's dark, and it's late the one evening, and, and he asks, hey, Eric, can I, can I talk to you? So we, we walk outside our front steps, and we're having this conversation on the sidewalk. And uh, it's a beautiful evening, I recall, and he begins to sob, just sob. He had just accepted Christ and his Lord in life, but yet he's still feeling this anxiousness, this almost like a panic was, was overwhelming him. And the reality was, was, was that Jesus had forgiven him of all of his sin and all of his iniquity, but he was holding on to his sin and all of his iniquity, and he was trying to figure that out. And there was a, there was a tension between the two of, of, of receiving God's forgiveness, but holding on to your stuff. And so he was a mess. So this young guy, he's crying. You know, he's, so he's, you know, he's a manly kind of man. He likes to hunt and stuff like that. But he cried. He was crying. So what do you do when you get a crying dude at your doorstep? You know, do you say, hey, man, you're a mess. You need to go see a shrink. Or I could have said, maybe there's some self-help books out there for you. Or maybe get together with some other guys who cry like you do. And, and maybe try to work out your problems together. You know, I could have done that. I could have done that. But, but here's what I realized, too was there was something about this young man that I was peering into his eyes through his tears. There was something about him that I saw. It was an I see in you moment. I'm thinking, okay, God, you've got something in store for this young man to do for the kingdom. He's got this passion and he's got these desires, even though he's a ball baby. God God had had him. That's, that's, no more, right? Okay, he said no more. I'm going to slug you and make you cry, right? But God had him. And so... I had a choice and a decision. What am I going to do? This guy is looking for discernment. He's looking for counsel. He's looking for direction. He's looking to, to experience Jesus for, with everything he's got. What am I going to do? What am I going to tell him? So for me, it was a burning bush moment, too, in that I realized that God is going to allow me to walk with this guy. And so, what, so I chose uh, to direct him to the source. And that source was, was Jesus. And I directed him to the Word of God. And I, as he began to immerse himself in the Holy Scriptures, he began to find life. He began to find abundant and true life like never before. And all the stuff that he was holding on to, it began to fall back and stay in the past in his life. No longer having a stronghold in his life. You know, that's really the power of the Word of God. You know, some of us, we believe it's a, it's, a, it's a guide for life. It's a rule book. It's a book of instructions and so forth. But no, 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 no. It's so much more than that. We find our life and we find our meaning and we find our significance in the pages of Scripture. In Psalm 78, listen to the beauty of what God said to the, to the Israelites. He said, open, oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories that we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. 
We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob and he gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God. That's what the word of God, it sets our hope anew on God. If you're not experiencing a hope anew in God, it's because you're not in the Holy Scriptures. You're not in the Word of God and allowing it to transform you and change you. It goes on here. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. The warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instructions. They forgot what he had done. Forgot what he had done. The scriptures remind us of what he had done. And they remind us of what he's about to do. Isn't that cool? It looks back. It speaks to us in our present life, and it speaks to us about our present, our, our future. Amen? It's, it's, so it's a remarkable, organic, living Word of God that does that in our lives. You know, I, I had the opportunity of having a, a man pour his life into me as a young man. And the one thing that I remember and recall from him was Scripture. And it was a, a significant scripture that I've held on to for so many years. And this is the only, it's weird, but it's the only scripture I remember him, him ever preaching. But I remember sitting at Jan Moe's house, sitting on the carpet, and he shared this passage of scripture, and it just stuck to me. Just stuck to me. And I think the reason why is because the Holy Spirit knew that in my life, I would need this particular passage in my life and promise over and over and over again. Philippians 3 says this. And it's from Paul. Yet, my brothers, I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually, nor do I consider myself already perfect. But I keep going on, grasping even more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasps me. My brothers, I do not consider myself to have fully grasped it even now. But I do concentrate on this. I leave the past behind, and with hands outstretched to whatever lies ahead, I go straight for the goal, my reward, the honor of being called by God in Christ. I have to do that in my life. I have got to let go of my past failures as well as successes, and i got to keep Jesus in my future focus. I have to do that. For if I dwell in the past, the, the, my past will kill me, and it will kill you. i got to let it go. i got to let it go. And those words from my youth pastor so many years ago have stuck to me like super glue. They're there. It's penetrated my heart, and I will never forget that moment in time. That is what the instructions of God do for you. And that's what the instructions of God do for me. You know, my kids, I, uh, I, I did my best with my four daughters in uh, daily devotionals. And we would gather, wherever we were living at the time, together in one of the bedrooms. And, and we'd sit down, and, and uh, we would have what we call nightly devotions. And I tried my best to be consistent with these moments with them. And, and I, was, I probably was hit and miss three or four nights a week, maybe at best. But the girls would say, oh, no, Dad, you were there every single night. Every single night, Dad, you were up there, upstairs. And I was like, no, I don't. You're like, every single night you were there. I was not. Come on. But they think I'm perfect, which I closely am. But, <laughs> but, but the reality was, when I was there, I was giving those girls an opportunity to have a burning bush moment themselves. 
as the word of God was revealed to them and they had those aha moments as they heard the instructions of the Lord, I was priming them so that they could experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit through his word. And so this passage here in particular talks about the children gaining instruction and their children gaining instruction and their children gaining instruction. And it starts with us, doesn't it? Our children gaining instruction about the Word of God, it starts with us. You might be your, your parent tonight, today. You, or I'm guessing most of you know a kid, right? You know a kid. You know you're, you're, an, you're an auntie, you're an uncle, you're a friend, you're a father, you're a mother. Whatever role you find yourself in with young people, impart the Word of God to them. Impart, because they will find life and they'll find their future in the Word of God. Unfortunately, the Israelites, they forgot the instruction of the Lord. And likewise, we forget often too. Yeah, we forget all the time. All the time we forget. I think there's days we forget. I think there's moments in each day we forget. I think there's countless opportunities that we just forget. There's so much to distract us to forget. I mean, we could go to the, our, all our phones and devices and TV and all the stuff that's going on out there in the world. I mean, it distract us from our true purpose and our true calling all the time. I believe it's there. It happens in our lives constantly. We forget. We're just like these Israelites in the story. We are find ourselves there more than we'd like to. But as Eric said, I think there's, I think there's verses, there's moments, there's times in our lives where God tries to remind us of where we've come from or where we're going or where we're at now. I think he comes at us and pulls something out from our, from where he first called us from to point us towards the future. And one of those verses for me, and I want to be careful just because of the context of this verse that I want to pull up for you is Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And what I want to say is for, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. See what happens with this verse is a lot of people stop. They stop right on 11 and that's what they think. They're like, God's going to show up and it's all going to be good and it's going to end. And this is, this is why I'm going to follow God because it all ends well. But really the context of this verse was spoken to the Israelites in a time where they are going into Babylon exile. They are going, they're going to be prisoners. I mean, that's where they're at. And so what happens is on the scene comes this false prophet. His name's Hananiah. And he tells the Israelites, you're going to be out of this in two years. You're going to be, you'll be out of this in two years. And it wasn't true. It wasn't true at all. So the true prophet, Jeremiah, his book, he comes on the scene and he says, nope, this is what it's all about, guys. It's going to be good. It's going to end okay. But what I really want you to focus on is in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. It's going to be 70 years until the Israelites are freed from exile. 70 years. That means most of the people in that current generation, when they hear this message, will not be alive when they leave exile. It's bad news. It's like, man, we're never going to, we are not going to be free. This is how our life is going to end right here. It's not a good message. It's not a message of hope. And that's what this is all about. And this is spoken into the context of the people for that day. But God brought this verse up in a very miraculous God way in my life in a time and a season where I needed it. And he came after me and he said, Taylor, it is not about the plants. It is not about what you're trying to do or how you're trying to solve it. Not what, you know, I'm in this deep, dark hole. It's like, it's not about what you want to see happen. It's about me. It's about seeking me. It's about praying to me. It's about finding me. It's about my presence. It's about, I'm the fact that I'm the plan for your life. I'm the plan. Who cares if it's good? Who cares what's ahead? It's me. I want to set you on fire. I want to give you that burning bush moment. And I want to send you forward. That's what I want to do with your life, Taylor. And constantly, I think there's moments in my life where God has to remind me that, remember when I spoke this verse to you, Taylor? Remember when I just showed you this? Remember that? Remember when I set you on fire? Remember? And I went, I forget. And we all forget. 
We all get distracted. We all look to something that is the cure. But God's like, no, no, no. I want you to look to me. I want you to come find me. I want you to pray to me in those moments where you don't feel like praying because you don't think it's going to change anything. But we always forget. We always find a way to forget. Always. Little hiatus from our message. Just for a moment. This is, you know this is coming. You know, it, you know, I sit back, I'm standing here, and I'm... This is unexpected. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in your presence, and to see, after four and a half years... Four and a half years, didn't even know Jesus. And now he's on a stage proclaiming the goodness of God in a powerful and significant way. Isn't that that unbelievable, folks? If that doesn't show you the power of God, I don't know what, I don't know what will. Because God's plan for Taylor is your plan, is God's plan for you. Not that necessarily can be on a stage like this, but he wants to, he wants to set you on a course for life that you can't even fathom in your life. But yet we hold back. We hold back from Jesus and we hold him at arm's length and say, no, I just want enough, enough Jesus to appease my conscience. But I don't want enough Jesus to change my life. Just enough Jesus to, for a little bit of redemption, a little bit of forgiveness. But he wants so, so much more for you. He really does. So thank you that you're going to, to model this for our, our next, next generation of young people. And they're so blessed to have you. Amen. Mm-hmm. So, let's see if I can rally my emotions here for just a second, because I don't want to be like that blubbering guy that was on my doorstep four and a half years ago. <laughs> they forgot. The Israelites, they indeed, they forgot. Not only did they forget the instructions of the Lord, but they forgot his movement on their behalf. The scripture, as we continue, communicates this about the actions of our Israelites. It says, they forgot what he had done. First thing they forgot, the great wonders that he had shown them, the miracles he did for their ancestors on the plain of Zon in the land of Egypt. And that plain of Zon was kind of an, an area where Moses would meet with Pharaoh, and they would hold court with one another, and there would be uh, an opportunity to kind of communicate back and forth. And, and that is the, the moment in the time when, time and again, Moses would say, you, you need to let my people go free, or this, is, or this is the consequences that you will face. And in that plain of Zon is where we saw take place many of the the ten plagues that happened in Egypt, right there in the plains of Zon. And so these Israelites, as they're camped in their communities that surrounded the plains of Zon, they saw what happened. They had had a bird's eye view to what God was doing, how God was was trying to... trying to create in within the Egyptians uh, such a, a sense that we've got to get rid of these Israelites. They're, they're, they're a stench to us. And so these ten plagues got to the very end where the Egyptians said, Go! Leave! Leave us! And the Israelites, they had full view of all of that. All ten plagues that did not impact and affect them. But they forgot what God had done. For then he divided the sea and he led them through making the water stand up like walls. So they're, they, are, they're, they have exited Egypt and they're on their way to the, quote, promised land. 
They get to the edge of the Red Sea, and there's a sentry behind them that's kind of communicating what's going on behind them. As they have guys got looking forward, they've also got guys looking behind. And looking behind, they say, we've got trouble on the horizon. Do you see that cloud of dust? It is not just the dust of the desert. It is chariots armed for war from Egypt coming to go to war with us. So the Israelites, they look at their situation. There's a sea before them. There's a chariot behind them. And they cry out to God, God, why have you forgotten us? We're just days later. They just saw God performing these 10 miracles to set them free. But yet there they are at the precipice of the Red Sea. God, why have you forgotten us? So God does what he always does. On, on their behalf, he executes a plan. He divides the water. There's a wall on the right, there's a wall on the left. And the Israelites, they walk on dry land. And sure enough, as the last Israelite gets on dry land on the other side of the sea, the, the water comes crashing down upon the chariots of Egypt. And the Egyptians, they perish. But they forgot what God had done. He then does this. In the daytime, he leads them by a cloud. And all night, by a pillar of fire. You know, we, we're seeing a pretty cool thing tomorrow. And I've got a million plus people that are entering into Oregon tomorrow. And they're actually going to be on the byways and the highways today making things a little bit miserable for us Oregonians. People are coming in to see the eclipse. They're coming in to see a phenomena of God. And for about 10 minutes, where everybody's going to put on their little funky little glasses, and they're going to look up at the sky, and they're going to see the eclipse. And then they're going to enter back into their vehicles, go back to wherever they came from. And then tomorrow and the next day, we'll see it on Facebook. And then by Thursday, we're going to forget about the eclipse. That's what's going to happen. But can you imagine this scene? A little bit different than a 10-minute eclipse. Can you imagine this? That there's a million plus people walking through the desert and they're following a moving cloud. Right above them, there's blue sky everywhere. As far as you can see, there's blue sky. Except there's a cloud that hovers over the the Israelites. And they follow that cloud because that cloud is moving. And then at night, because you can't see the cloud, God says, I'm still present with you. Even though you cannot see me in the cloud, I'm still present. So I'm going to make my presence so visible, I'm going to become a pillar by fire. So above the Israelites or wherever before, or I don't know how this, what this even looked like, there's a pillar of fire. And at nighttime, you, if you, you can see a pillar of fire, fire from miles around. So can you imagine as, as the Israelites would come to a neighboring community and so forth, they, people would know. And I'm sure they heard that this God shows up, that this God is ever-present. And as a community would say, here comes the cloud. Here comes the cloud. And when night came, there's the fire. That is the God of Israel. That is the God of Israel. And yet, the Israelites, they forgot. And lastly, Scripture says this, that he even did this for them. He made streams pour from the rock, making the waters flow down like a river. So they're in the desert. They've, they've gone through all this experience and God is providing manna for them. And, and as they look at the horizons, all they see is desert. It's all they see. All, all God sees is opportunities. And because there is no water, they cry out. Say, God, you took us out here. Moses, you took us out here to die in the desert. We have no water. So what does God do? He once again provides for them. And out of the rocks, out of literally the rocks, gush out fresh water for them. And he provides for them. You know, don't you wish today that you, ha- you, that you could see God's presence, you know, visible presence of God, that you could see God 
cloud by day and a fire by night. We, we, in our minds, we think, man, if I just, if I just saw that, that cloud by day and the fire by night, I, I, I would put all of my hope and all of my belief in God. I wouldn't doubt. I wouldn't be tossed to and fro with fear and anxiety and panic. But if I saw it, oh God, I know that I would never doubt you. Amen. The reality is this. Okay? So here's the real reality. For, you, for those of you who call on the name of the Lord and follow after Jesus, that cloud by day, that fire by night, that God who, who, who took the waters of the Red Sea in part of that, that God who gushed water out from the rocks, that God of the ten plagues, you know what he did? He reoriented himself. He did something ima- just unbelievable that he found his presence somewhere else inside of you and inside of me. In the name of the Holy Spirit. That's what he did. And so when we cry out, say, oh God, oh God, where is your presence? He said, I'm here. I am, I am inside of you. You have now become the holy temple of God. I reside within you. And the reason that you don't feel my presence is because you choose not to abide in me. God is a God of abiding. He abides within you, but he wants you to abide in him. He wants you to feel his presence. He wants you to experience his presence. He wants you to know that he has got a plan for your life. He does for each one of us. He's got a plan. And he wants, he, he wants for you to be fulfilled. And I believe this, that he's got a God-given destiny for each one of us. And as you continue to abide in him, he is going to take you on an unexpected journey. He is. It's always unexpected with him. So several months ago, I'm, I'm youth pastoring here at Sunrise Church. Been here for nine and a half years. And uh, I got at, in the realm of Sunrise Church, I had the best job. Sorry, sir, pastor. I had the best job. Okay. I got to work with middle schoolers took it. and high schoolers. <laughs> what did you say? So that's why I took it. That's right. That's why you took it. You knew it. And love what I was doing. Love working with, in particular, I just found my heartbeat with the high school students. And then, lo and behold, as I'm walking with God, as I'm abiding in Him and feeling His presence, He says, Eric, I'm going to take you on a journey, and it is totally unexpected. I'm going to take you to where you've never been before, and it's going to require more faith than you've ever had before. And it's going to take you that you need to walk in my presence moment by moment. Not even day by day, but moment by moment, you need to abide in me. Experiencing God. Absolutely. And so... So as of September the 1st, I'm no longer at Sunrise Church. I'll be connected to Sunrise Church, but I've taken on this brand new role as, uh, as I'm called the, the Northwest Regional Director for Sun Life Ministries. To, to make a short of it, basically I'm going to be overseeing Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, and I'm going to be coaching, mentoring, and building up young pastors and leaders. That's what I will do. That's, that's my responsibility. So, yeah, thank you. So. I am uh, so excited about this next chapter in my life, but I got to keep my eyes on him because I can become overwhelmed with panic and fear because one of the things that I, that as I follow after this fire by night and cloud by day thing is I have to raise my support. I have to raise my salary. I'm a missionary. And that's the craziest thing. I'm 55 years old and I have to raise support. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. But God is, he's all in it. When, and you know, when God is all in it, what do I have to fear? I have nothing to fear. Because I know, I, I know and I believe firmly that God is, He is the one that's directing my, my steps. I make my plans, He directs my steps. And so I have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear at all. And, and likewise, 
When you follow after Jesus, you have nothing to fear. It's so great when God calls someone else. He, he already is doing his work elsewhere. And so as this old, young man, young man, very young, you can be a missionary, come on. Uh, as this young man works his way and God calls him, God pulls someone else in. That's what he always does. God is always working. He's always doing it. And he's got someone coming into the serve role. I don't even know who it is yet, but he's going to bring him in. Because we just trust God. We, le- we lead forward. We face forward and run, and we trust God to do the rest. Because when he asks us to go, we've got to go. And he sat there. I mean, we sat down. He had a conversation with me. It was like two months ago or something like that. I don't know if it was quite that far ago. But it was, he basically said, said, Hey, I think you should consider being the youth pastor. And I was like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, well, just pray about it, marinate, let it marinate in your soul and just, just think about it. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. And so, and I was kind of like, man, I have a good thing going. I mean, if you guys have been here on the weekend and you've seen these serve teams, the way they come down, they greet you, they make the coffee, they make sure this place is a safe place. They help you find your spot. They greet you as soon as you come in the parking lot. Why would I ever want to leave that? They're the best. I mean, if you get greeted by them every single weekend, they're the real deal. They give their lives away. They could be somewhere else. They, they've got kids at home. They come and they give up their time to be here. I'm like, dude, I have the best team. <laughs> and they're the real deal. And I wanna, I'm like, I have a good thing going. Why would I ever want to leave that? But God what does what I like to call the hard 90. You think you're going to stay at serve pastor for a while. And God goes, no, I'm going to take you here. You're going to go here. I know you thought you're going here, but you're going here. I had to have another burning bush moment with God. And he says, nope, Taylor, I'm changing the trajectory of your life. And it's the beautiful thing about following God is that he will do that. And I didn't think so a couple weeks ago. I didn't think so then, but God started doing more and more. And it basically got to the point where I was like, I have to be youth pastor. I have to be the youth pastor. God has pressed it on my soul. He has allowed people to say things to me that they didn't even know they were speaking to me about. I mean, about the youth job. And I'm like, Wow. I've got to be the youth pastor. And man, I am, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited that I get to step in with this role. There's a great team there. The youth are fantastic. I get to just jump in and it's already in rhythm. It's already in sync and I get to go there. But it's so often in this journey and I want to, I want to kind of close with something that as God calls us into a season, sometimes as we get in those seasons, we forget. We do. The Israelites, time and time again, he shows up, they forget. We as people, God shows up, we forget. After the next day, we forget. God speaks something, we forget. I mean, that's just who we are. We are people who forget. But what I love about God is he constantly pursues us. And we find that in what I like to call Peter, one of the disciples' journeys with Christ. And if you come in, I don't have it on the screens, I don't have it anywhere, but I'm just going to tell you the story. We walk into Luke 5, Jesus is on the scene, and he's teaching people teaching them and all of a sudden the, the crowds press in he has to hop in a boat it's peter's boat they pull out the sea he teaches from there all of a sudden jesus is done teaching and he says all right peter let's go out and fish peter just got done fishing all night and he said there ain't no fish to be caught out there and jesus is like we're going out to fish and peter goes okay so they go out and they fish and all of a sudden they put the nets in and it comes up and they start to break they got to pull the boats in across another boat in to help them with it And Peter's like, he's an expert fisherman. He's been fishing all night. And all of a sudden, this guy hops in his boat. He goes out there. He pulls pulls up these fish. He goes, oh my gosh, who are you? He says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. So he tells Jesus. 
And that's Peter's moment. That's his burning bush moment in his walk with Jesus. That's the, one of those first moments he has with them where he goes, you might really be who you say you are. You might really be the Messiah. And so basically at that point, Peter's life is forever changed. The trajectory of his life is changed forever because he believes. Because he believes God for who he says he is. And so we fast forward the story. Jesus has been, he's got his disciples. He's got 12 of them. They're following him. All of a sudden, we go, to, we go all the way to John 21. This is the end of Jesus' life. This is the third time he appears to the disciples after he's been to the cross and died for the sins of the world. He rises again and this is his third time appearing. This is where we catch him in John 21. All of a sudden, the disciples are out. They're fishing again. They're fishing, they're out there, they've gone back to what they know. They've gone back to what they think is their purpose. They've returned because they have forgotten. And let me remind you, in the whole story of this sequence, Peter has denied Jesus three times. Three times! He's denied him. He said, <laughs> and he knows it. So they're out there. They go back to what they know. They forget. So they go to complacency. They go to this place where it's just easy. Things are in control. They've always fished. They're going to fish some more. And they're out there in these boats. And Jesus walks up on the scene. And he says, throw your nets in on the other side. They've been fishing all day. There's no fish to be caught. Same story. Luke 5. And he, they throw them in on the other side. And all of a sudden they pick them up. And there's all kinds of fish in it again. It's the same thing. It's the same sign in which Peter determined that Jesus was real. Jesus was worth following. Jesus is it. And Jesus will come back in your life and he will do the same thing that he's done before because he is in constant pursuit of you to perform the same miracle in which made you give up everything to follow him. He will come after you. He will remind you because we forget. We fall there. And to go even further in the story... When they realize it's Jesus, one of the other disciples, John, he looks over, he says, Peter, he says, that's Jesus. When all these fish come in, Peter realizes it's Jesus that told him to do that. And he starts running for Jesus. He starts taking off in the water. He doesn't care what he looks like because he's going for Jesus. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. And so we get through the story and they have this conversation. And Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. It's like, Peter's like, of course I love you. And by the third time, he's upset. It's like, why are you asking this every single time? I think sometimes in our journey with Jesus, when we fall and we don't think we're good enough to walk in these doors or to talk to someone about our life or share where we found, we don't think we're good enough for Jesus. And Jesus is in the story telling him, he's like, remember, I know I love you, but I need you to remember that you love me. Because that's where we fall sometimes. We fall apart. And it ends with the dialogue, and it goes all the way to this point. The story is, ends with Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. That's how he ends it. Follow me. Jesus is our cloud by day and our fire by night. He lives inside of us, and he asks us to follow him above all else. And it doesn't matter. These disciples, they forgot that Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to do that. He's told them that multiple times. He had to go there. And they still forget. He shows up on the scene. They don't even recognize him right away. I mean, how often is that in us, in our lives? That's us all the time. We constantly are forgetting. We're constantly forgetting where Jesus has worked in our lives. And we go to whatever we think we know. We go to where we're in control. We go to that place, that idol, whatever it is. You can call it TV. You can call it alcohol. You can call it gossip. You can call it whatever it is. That place where you're in control. Because that's where we'll go every single time. And Jesus will pursue us all the way to that spot. Because grace will chase you down, my friends. And so, 
What does your life look like today? What does it look like? Are you, is, is, is this it? Is this your pillar by day, cloud by day, fire by night? Is this it, sitting in the seat? Is this what your whole Christian life and faith experience is all about? Coming here, showing up, and that's it? Because if this is what it's about, man, I'm telling you, you're missing out. You're missing out. This cannot be your full adventure with Christ. He has called you to so much more. And to be honest with you, when people come in that don't know Jesus and they think this is the Christian experience, I go, no, we're doing a pretty bad job of showing them it. Because it is outside these walls and it is living with a calling and a purpose. It is about following Jesus and making disciples and he sets these moments in our lives to send us off. It's not about us as much as it's about advancing the kingdom. And he gives us all that purpose, all that call. And just because I'm becoming, I'm a pastor doesn't mean you need to be a pastor. God wants to call you to something. He wants to call you to your neighbor. He wants you to invest your life away and change forever. Because that person may go change the world. You never know. What are you going to do? Are you going to sit here? Is this it? Is this it? Is it done? We go away. We hear a message today. And this is church. This is what it all revolves around. It's supposed to be a life of adventure and scary stuff that we don't understand. And we don't even can't comprehend. That is what following Jesus is all about, my friends. It is not about here. It's not about a safety net. It's not about four walls. It can't be about that. We are a family. We're a community. We gather in four walls. But it's about living it out. And more people would want to come know Jesus if we were giving it all away, if we were showing people what, what it's really like to follow Jesus. And if we sit here and we go through the motions, we're just putting on a religious act. We can go to the communion tables. We can go to that and acknowledge that's what it's about or whatever. We can show up. We can sing a couple songs and not let them penetrate the heart. That's what we can do. Or we can follow Jesus. Because anything... That's a tradition that doesn't lead us into the presence of God is just religious. That's all it is. If it doesn't lead us into the presence of God, it's just a religious act. Because everything should take us to God at the end of the day. And so I want to I pray for all of you in this room, but I want to pray for those people in here who don't even know what that's about yet. Don't even have that relationship. Don't even have that moment with Jesus Christ. Haven't had that surrender moment. We kind of take it for granted. We walk through. We go, man, you've given your life to Christ. Yeah, but there's people in here who need to make an eternal decision. They need to step on with this adventure with Jesus. They need to hop in and give their life away so they can change the trajectory of their lives and go live with purpose and calling. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us who need that. But I also want to pray for them and invite them into the family. Because that's what it's about. I never want to let an opportunity go away. Last weekend I stopped dead in my tracks in that corner out there in the group's corner. And I got to lead a kid to Christ. There's so much going on. There's so much to do in life. But if we aren't stopping and living out our calling, then what are we really doing? That's what it's all about. He got baptized last service. He's here serving because he's the real deal. God has a calling in his life. And he has a calling in yours. It's about all of us. We're a family. We work together. So I want to pray. I want you to bow your heads, but I want you to pray for everyone in this room as we do this. So first, Father, I just want to pray for all of us, Lord, that we, we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded constantly, God, that it is a life lived face forward, running towards you, giving you everything we have, following the cl- pillar by day, the cloud by day, and the fire by night, Lord. That's how we want to live our lives. We want to have burning bush moments, Lord, in our lives. And so I pray for the people in this room, myself, everyone included, Lord, that we would have more of those moments, that we wouldn't just settle for nothing less than just who you are, God, your presence, your intimate relationship. I pray that we would be pulled in and that you would direct us wherever you want us to go, that we wouldn't be scared, but we would be advantageous towards that, God. 
I pray that you would do it, God. Only you can do it. You would just set us on fire, God. You would give us a call, something that would ignite us, give us life and purpose about pouring into that next generation, the next people, God. And then I want to invite some people in this room, Lord, that have never accepted you as Lord of their life. They've never had that moment of surrender, that moment where they acknowledge that you're Lord and you're God. And we want to invite them in right now, God. We want to invite them in right now. So if that's you out there right now, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, would you just say these words with me? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've failed. And I really need you. And I believe that you are real. And I believe that you went to the cross and tied for the sins of the world, including mine, past, present, and future. And no matter where we are in this life, God, you rose again from the dead after you died. You rose. You conquered death. And now I want to give you my life. I want to surrender it all to you. And I want to follow you, God. I want to, I want to be, have a life of purpose. Amen.